right. We are back, Torin and I, um, ready to talk about everything autism beyond the label so we can shift the narrative around autism. What are we talking about today, Torin? I'm excited. Uh, this topic was your idea, parent expectations. Yes. Yes, it was. But I have a lot to say about it, so I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> so when I when I think about the expectations that parents have, right? There's there's so many levels to it, right? Like expectations for this and expectations for that. Um, so we're gonna try to see if we can um, zone in on uh, the specific specifics of what we um, want to focus on. But with that said, in terms of those layers, you know, there's parent expectations around when someone gets pregnant and then they start having expectations already for their child, right? Which is for me always very humorous when someone finds out they're having a girl and they literally say, oh my gosh, I can't wait to plan the wedding. And then my practical concrete brain says, what if she just doesn't want to get married? And then of course they're like appalled, right? Because I've taken their wedding away from them. But it just fascinates me that parents have expectations for their children to do what they want them to do when they want them to do them, um, even into adult life, right? And so what we want to sort of delve into is a little bit on, or what I was thinking is on the expectations when parents either get a diagnosis or the expectations when their children start school, or just expectations based on cultural dynamics and how that can not only impact the child who has um, a diagnosis of autism, but it impacts the relationship between the parent and the child. And so that's why I wanted to talk about this because I want parents to have a wonderful rapport with their, their children. And part of that is accepting your children for who they are and, and also allowing them to, to do and be who they are. That doesn't mean you don't set boundaries. Um, Everybody knows I'm all about setting boundaries so what are your thoughts when you hear parent expectations, Torn? Oh, geez. Um, there's a lot. The number one thing I worry about is from the, as an autistic person, from the autistic perspective, is that mm-hmm. parents have certain expectations about milestones we're supposed mm-hmm. to hit. Those mm-hmm. expectations come mostly from teachers and doctors. Like, your yes. kids should walk this age, talk this age, do mm-hmm. this at this age. And some parents, not all, don't handle it well when their children don't meet those expectations. Mm-hmm. Some things <clears throat> make sense and are necessary. Potty training is the first thing that comes to my mind. That's to, to be able to function in adult society, your kid yes. has to be potty trained. But then there are other expectations that adults will get very bent out of shape about, mm-hmm. like uh, tying of shoes, for example, which to me never seemed to be... I, didn't t- be, I couldn't tie my own shoes till I was nine, it wasn't that big of an issue. I just wore Velcro sneakers. You can get yeah. away with that when you're a child till like high school. So there are certain things that I feel are not as big of a deal, but parents still get really bent out of shape. So when I hear expectations, that's sort of the first thing I think of. Mm-hmm. No, no. And in, in reference to that, you know, when I hear parents say things like, oh, you know, I want them to tie their shoe, they're four. And then of course, you know, coming from a speech therapist perspective, you know, I'm focusing on your child needs to be able to communicate. That so outweighs the priority of tying your shoe. But I have this this um, conversation with parents in, in terms of we need to prioritize based on what is, what's a job skill, right? Is tying your shoe a job skill? Uh, not unless you're selling tennis shoes. <laughs> Uh, no one asks you on a job application if you know how to tie a shoe. No one asks you on a job application if you eat a well-balanced meal. So there are certain things that are that need to be prioritized. It's not there are certain things that need to be prioritized because this is a skill that is very necessary for your child to be independent and take care of themselves. And other things are just extra, right? There are children that live in, in countries that don't have shoestrings. They manage to do just fine, never learning to tie a shoe. It's not a critical skill. And like you said, there are alternate shoes now. We have fancy shoestrings that, you know, you press a button and the athletes, even in the NBA, have these shoes where it ties it for them. You have, you know, slip-on shoes. Uh, So those are the things that I try to help parents see so that they can use their time and energy on the things that are really important. But at the same time, 
I try to help the parents understand. I understand it's important to you because you want to be able to have the conversation with your sister-in-law or your friend whose four-year-old just got the award for tying their shoes, right? Or got their name put on the board. So I understand that parents have a sense of wanting to feel a part of um, a parent community that they can talk about accomplishments. Um, but when you are parenting an autistic child, you have to parent with the intent of looking at the skills that are important, but also it's not about comparing to other people. And I know that we get caught up in that. Um, and, and, you know, I try to help parents. It's a dynamic that's difficult, but it's, it's focusing on what does your child need? So do you, do you have anything, Torin, that you recall um, in terms of an expectation that your parents had of you that you were just like, oh my gosh, like, why are they expecting me to do that? It's just not something that I think I can do realistically. That's an interesting question. The answer is no, because that I can remember. Because it was clear from the time I was a little kid that I had some delays. Mm-hmm. So my parents basically just gave up gave up on me. And so instead of expectations, what I had was what they had was just sort of not so hidden resentment of me mm-hmm. and yeah. how I didn't turn out the way they wanted. So I guess the overall expectation was I wasn't like a neurotypical child. Yeah. But there was there, there was nothing in in particular mm-hmm. because they just thought like I, I couldn't do anything. So it's like, why have expectations of someone who's just broken? So that's mm-hmm. sort of how they looked at me. So mm-hmm. I really didn't have any expectations other than the fact that that they wanted me to not be autistic. That's essentially the only expectations they had of me. Mm-hmm. But with such a broad topic, how I would break it down, I think we should tackle these three things individually is, there are three main the three main um, areas of expectation I noticed off the top of my head that I think of. I would say expectation of behavior, mm-hmm. communication, yep. and education. There so you behavior, go. obviously, how they act, how they carry themselves. Uh, communication is how they communicate. Education is how they're doing in school. So I think we should try to tackle each one of those individually because those are sort of the three big areas you see around autistic children and how they struggle. And and I just want to let everyone out there listening know that you can't see my face, but I am beaming with joy because this is exactly why Torin and I are doing this because we literally, that's exactly what I was thinking of those three topics. Like we have not discussed what we were going to talk about. We just pick a topic and we start talking. And I had already had in the back of my head that I was going to come back with, let's talk about the communication, the behavior and the education. And Torin and I are like, telepathically in sync. So I just want to share that with everyone. Yeah, there, there was no, there, there was no pre-discussion before this. There really yeah. wasn't. I mean, I'm listening to you say those three things and I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's exactly what I was just thinking. Um, and I was actually going to ask you when you, when you said that, you know, the expectation was for you to be neurotypical, that is an expectation a lot of parents have. And that's a whole nother uh, topic for us to chat about. Um, but did you ever feel, and, and I'm just sort of like, you know, um, asking uh, your personal perspective, if you can share, did you ever have that where the expectation for you to communicate a certain way or at a certain time? Because there are things that parents or, or teachers are looking for, <laughs> um, those expectations around communication. And sometimes, you know, autistic individuals just don't have access to their words at that time. Yeah, um, more from my mother. So one of the things I struggle with, even going into like late elementary school, so for non-American listeners, that's like uh, fifth, sixth grade. What's the translation to that for like UK and Australian school, Stacey? I don't even know. They're kind the of equivalent of like yeah. four, fifth, and sixth grade. Yeah, they call it year four. Okay, so that sort of area. Even up to then, I struggle with simple things. Like if, so, if a stranger said hi, mm-hmm. to say hi back, Mm-hmm. I would either say nothing or I'd salute. I don't know where the hell I got that from, but I would salute. <laughs> and one day I did that in elevator and my mom gave me this look. So, and Stacy will know this. Black moms have this look they give you when they're in public, when you know they're about to beat the shit out of you, but they're not going to strip say that because there's people around. They give you this look that you know you're going to get the shit beat out of you the minute that person leaves. Yes. So he left. And this woman slapped fire from me. 
And it was like, what the hell is wrong with you? You saluted a random person. You say, hi, how are you? You don't salute them. So from that day forward, I learned to say, hi, how are you? (laughs) That's not suggested, by the way. No, 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 no. um, But those of us, I grew up with a black mama, too. And I know that look very, very well. Yeah, look what you just know. It's like, "Ah." you just look at that. It's like, "Ah, shit. I think uh, everybody has that that one thing that um, our parents do that we know. That's it. I, I, you know, when I when I hear that, Torin, of course, you know, I'm always talking about understanding communication differences. Um, but the expectation around communication, um, it, it's it's interesting how the expectation that the parent has can sometimes even hinder a child from becoming a communicator because the expectations the parents have, and I'll talk a little bit about that in terms of what that looks like. And of course, I'll share a story with an example, but I want to just say before we start discussing it, um, I am not saying that parents should not have high expectations for their children. I am talking about having expectations that are reasonable, attainable, and prioritize them so that your children can grow to be whoever they're supposed to be and do whatever they're supposed to do in this world. Um, I am a huge proponent of continuing, you know, with education. Um, I'm one of those folks at the table that says, why is the seven-year-old, the 10-year-old student still working on matching colors? Like, why are we still working on that? And and typically it's because no one knows how to teach um, our kiddos. But Going back to that communication and the expectation for communication, one of the struggles, and, and there's we're doing a better job, I think, because of social media and just availability of, of um, what using an AAC device looks like, but there are a lot of autistic individuals that I've met, students, high school, college, well, not college necessarily, but going into college that struggle with communication because no one's ever suggested an alternative backup Or for some of our kiddos who are really, really frustrated, no one's offered an alternative way to communicate because everyone expects and wants verbal. It's, it's, you know, when I think of, you know, uh, my days as a speech therapist and working with kids who were deaf or hearing impaired and sign language with their language, it was always very sad to me, the parents who didn't take the time to learn sign language, because apparently it was too much trouble to learn how to communicate with your child and that put a huge barrier in their relationship. And it was sad because, you know, it's an alternative way that your child can go into the world and, and be independent. And because it wasn't the way they communicate, they weren't willing to do something different. And I think a lot of times I see that with parents and I totally understand. I, I You want to hear the words and I get it, I get it, I get it. And I always say, Verbal communication is the quickest method. So if someone can, if a child can communicate verbally at that time, they will. If they don't, at that time, they just can't. And so we need to support their needs. And I think that a lot of children are missing out on the ability to develop a method of communication because parents expect verbal only and that's all they want. And that's not the parent's fault necessarily. It's because no one's educated them on the options. So that's what we're talking about shifting the narrative around um, autism in terms of just because a child has an AAC device or communicates with pictures initially or sign language, you know, when they're toddlers, that doesn't mean they're not going to become a verbal communicator. It doesn't mean that they are, but it can also foster, facilitate, and support the development of verbal communication for those kiddos that do have the capability to be verbal. Um, and so for me, it's, it's parent expectations are great, but we also need to consider the child. And I think that's what I just want parents to get from this is you can have those expectations, but also consider what your child needs at, this, at that time, um, especially in regards to communication, because Torin, you know, if you can develop, if somebody has a way to communicate, that can minimize those, you know, behaviors that everyone talks about all the time because you have a way to communicate differently than with your body. No, that's true. Well, I don't understand, maybe you can answer this for me and answer this for the audience, is this insistence on verbal communication. I get it. it it's default. Mm-hmm. But this sort of insistence that it has to be verbal and then they tie one's verbal ability to their overall functioning level. So, for example, everyone always assumed that, like, I was high-functioning, quote-unquote. 
because I've always been relatively good at talking. But the problem is talking is about the only thing I'm good at. Mm-hmm. So they would take that and be like, look, he talks. He can hold, he can hold a conversation. Um, he's, he's a good writer. He, he mm-hmm. must be high-functioning. And the answer is, nah, not really. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's a good thing, but I, I don't know why there's this insistence on verbal like articulation as sort of the be-all and end-all of mm-hmm. functioning and this sort of necessity, this sort yeah. of make-or-break necessity to uh, a child's development. Do you know yeah. why that is? I think part of it is um, it's easier when when you don't have to learn something different. That's one. The other part is um, there's a lot um, to be said about people wanting to feel like they're a part of a group and everyone's the same. Now, I am not that person, right? So I'm the duck that's always going in the other direction of everyone else um, or all the other ducks. And in fact, I never even knew there were ducks going the other direction. So you know, I'm living in Stacy's world. However, it is, it's for some parents, it's um, lack of understanding what communication is. They just think communication is verbal. They're not aware that communication looks different, right? Even if, you know, maybe they know sign language, but they're not aware that communication can look different. And some parents don't even know that they, they equate having to use pictures or having to use an AAC device means that you're intellectually delayed because that's the connection they have when they see TV. They just don't know. And so I try to show like videos of kiddos using their AAC devices. Um, You know, I try to help parents understand um, how it can be more, you know, beneficial for them to have that backup because it's so frustrating not to be able to communicate. And our kids have something to say. Just because they're nonverbal, that meme that we see, doesn't mean they don't have anything that they want to communicate, right? And what's interesting to me is going back to the parent expectation component, you know, when parents, I've had parents who hang on to that need for verbal. Yes, my child's going to be verbal. You know, I've had parents tell me, um, you know, I'm going to pray and and my child's going to be verbal. And I had a, a mom that told the sibling of her son who was autistic that God was going to um, heal him at age 10 and he would talk. And, and that is dangerous. You know, I'm not against prayer, but that is, is, is a little dangerous to say that. And so now, unfortunately, her daughter is in counseling because she is mad at God who didn't give her brother verbal skills, um, you know, because that's what she was told for years. And, and that breaks my heart. But on the other hand, you know, there's stories where parents will say, oh, you know, my child said his first word, you know, he's nine wonderful. But saying his first word doesn't mean that, oh, now he's verbal. He still has no way to communicate, right? Like hanging on to that expectation of if I just don't give them anything else, they're going to have to be verbal is, is, is not beneficial to autistic individuals who need a method of communication. And, um, and that's just where educating parents and helping them understand what communication is comes into play. That's why I talk anytime I can anywhere to anyone who will listen, because once parents understand, it's okay to use an AAC device. It's okay to start out with pictures. It's okay if, you know, your child is not going to be a verbal communicator. There are many individuals that are not verbal communicators as their primary method, and they're still going to college and accomplishing things. And, and I will, I'll close this in a second, just to go on that going to college, that is not the end, that is not success. I'm not saying that college means, oh, someone is successful. Um, and, and also, I think it's a matter of when we look at autistic individuals and say, oh, you know, this many went to college, this many didn't. When you look at people who are not autistic, this many went to college, this many didn't. You know, like you can have a family of seven children. They don't all take the same route to their their end journey of life of what they're going to do as a career. And, and one way is not the only way. And so I think helping parents know that when their expectation for verbal only is the only expectation they have, it's not about communication. They're just thinking of the verbal component and they're missing the big picture. And so just helping them to understand how it can look different and it's okay. So like a question about, so, so why 10 years old? Is there, is nine like too early and 11's too late? So 10's like the Goldilocks spot. Also, 
did, did it happen? Was it supposed to happen exactly on the kid's 10th birthday or just sometime in between his 10th and 11th birthday? And was it going to be like a gradual, like I need some, um, some more details. So it's going to yeah. be like a gradual thing or just one day he would just start running his mouth like da 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 yeah. And is it in the and was it supposed to be in the language they do they assume it's gonna be the language they prefer or like <laughs> did, did these yeah. like when you start speaking moon speak? I mean technically that counts as verbal skills if it's, if he's yeah. speaking Martian. So those are all I, I feel like those are all questions that were not answered. Yeah. And and I would like to know the answers to. I know. Obviously I'm I'm making light of something that's kinda of messed up. Yeah. But you, you do see that. And yeah. Another thing I, I think this dovetails nicely into is expectations and education. Mm-hmm. Because you mentioned college, things like that. We have certain expectations that they, of course, they be grade level and they graduate high school. And a lot of parents want to see their kids go to college and things like that. And I think that's where we see a lot of failings because on two fronts, because some autistic children do have develop, uh, educational delays. They have, educa- mm-hmm. they have learning disabilities and then some other autistics are actually really good at academics. And some yeah. are great in some subjects and absolutely future in others. Mm-hmm. That was my case. I was always good at like read the, the, the humanities. So reading, writing, I couldn't spell save my life, but reading, mm-hmm. writing in terms of articulating what I wanted to say mm-hmm. in writing, history. I was always good at those things and absolutely terrible, like science and math, mm-hmm. like, like putrid, just, would yeah. not pass those classes save my life and i think you see a lot of these expectations where they expect they, they expect certain things and i think that can be harmful to autistic children yeah and what are your and i know it's a broad topic but mm-hmm. what are your some of your thoughts on that no no and and i think that the educational expectations typically is um from a parent perspective it is it's from a place of people just subconsciously compete with other parents. Like they're constantly comparing their children to other people's children. And so, yeah. And so people get caught up in their, their, their children's accomplishments. Right. And that means that I'm a good parent. And I'm not saying that that's good, bad, or indifferent. I'm saying it's the reality of, of, of folks going throughout their day. You know, I would love for the education system to be around children coming in and whatever skills that we see, we foster those skills that can lead to a a career in taking care of yourself instead of having across the board curriculum expectations for everyone to do the same thing at the same time, make the same score and, and everybody go to college and everybody's going to do this. Uh, there's no. too much money involved. For that I know, I know, I know, I know. That's my idealistic world I'm going to live in um, in Stacy's world, but the the expectation around education um so for most parents is because they feel obligated because this is what the school says has to happen they feel obligated because they want their kids to go to college or they've already decided they're going to be a doctor <laughs> um so thinking in terms of those expectations put on a child and and not meeting that child's needs so my thing is you can have those expectations i have very high academic um, expectations for my students who are autistic. And for every student that I come across, I am the person that never understands why they're still working on matching. And the response is, well, we don't know how what they can read because they can't communicate. So why don't we have communication in place, right? So we're just going to keep giving this child and wondering why they're throwing a chair when you're giving them baby work when they're in third grade, they know how to read. You are responsible, but that's a whole nother conversation. So thinking in terms of parents having those expectations, I think that parents go into it with that. This is what the school says they have to do. And parents have to realize and, and shift their perspective on what's important for the benefit of my child's mental health. And that's where I try to help parents understand, you know, when you keep expecting and pushing and pushing your child to write a sentence when they don't have the fine motor proprioceptive hand strength to do that, you're really, really like trauma, like little mini spots of trauma because they know they can't pick up the pencil and hold it. And then you keep punishing them and you make them sit there and, and over and over and over again, when you could just let them type a sentence in the computer to show you that they know how to make a sentence, right? I think it's the expectation around education 
Teachers are the ones that facilitate this. I mean, I'm not downing teachers, but it's because of the system. Parents think if it's not done in the conforming way and the way that everybody does it, then it's not really, they didn't do it. They didn't show it. They didn't know it, right? Like if they can't do it the way everyone else does it, if they can't write the sentence, they really don't know how to make a sentence, but they do. Typing a sentence is the same as writing a sentence. The, 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 the subject is not handwriting. The subject is writing a sentence. So if you type a sentence and you put it in and you wrote it, then you have a sentence. So I think it's helping parents. You can have the expectation for your child to thrive, but you also have to be aware of what your child's strengths are, what their challenges are, and what supports do they need to compensate for the, for the challenges. We all have to do that. Everybody is not good in everything. I mean, I'm sure there's some people, but most of us have a strength here or a strength there, right? That's why we go into different majors. We're not all math majors. We're not all arts majors. So, you know, knowing what you do well and and what you don't do well helps. And when you know what you don't do well, you figure out strategies and put structure and supports in place to, to not have to have failures around that. And that can be something as simple as writing a grocery list before you go to the store so that you don't forget the items that you need. That is having a short, I have poor short-term memory, right? So that's my strategy. I'm not going to fix my short-term memory. You can ask my mother, my short-term memory, she claims it's because of an auto accident. It was bad before that, right? She just doesn't know. She wasn't sitting in class with me. So I knew and recognized because I don't have good short-term memory, long-term is excellent. Short-term is very poor. I have to put strategies in place so that I can Make sure I do the things the teacher said. Make sure I get the things at the store. If I don't, then I'm not going to be able to accomplish some of my tasks. So so thinking about you can have the expectations for education, but also know your child and know what supports they need for the things that they do have struggles with, but also know all children learn at a different rate. The, The system is built so that everybody has to be doing the same thing at the same time. And that's not how that's not how we as human beings develop. It's just not. And I think on the other side of that, it's you need to have some expectations mm-hmm. because I feel like some parents, this is my experience and experience mm-hmm. of, of some of the children I've worked with, they've gone completely to the other side yes. where they have no expectations Yes, and, exactly. or, or little to no expectations. And you all see that in the school system. Where I went to school, you see that a lot in special ed. When I was in special ed, for example, when I was in high school, when we were getting ready to, when we were applying for colleges and things like that, we'd already took all our tests and and, and that sort of thing. That we had a guidance counselor who she meant well, but she had no she she had no confidence in any our any of our abilities to like survive in mm-hmm. the real world. So we were basically told, okay, so everyone's either going to community college. So in America, you basically have two types of college. You have community college, which is for two years. And they're usually, usually live with your parents. You don't usually dorm. Yeah. And they're generally cheaper and you don't usually major in anything. It's just basic classes. Mm -hmm. And then you have a university, which is four year. You can get a bachelor's degree. Sometimes you dorm there and you usually major in something. Mm-hmm. So they want everyone to go to community college because she believed it was easier. Yeah, it's not. Community college isn't necessarily easier. It's just less focused, but the work is still hard. It's actually yeah. harder because you're expected to do a whole bunch of different things as opposed to specializing in one thing. But she didn't think we had any ability to live on our own. Mm-hmm. And the only university we were allowed to go to that she wanted us to go to was a place called Landmark in Vermont, which is for lack of a better word, and is a very overgeneralization, a special ed college where yeah. there's a lot of support for autistic people. And the reason she wanted us to go there is because she was convinced all none of us could survive in an actual like mainstream college because she had no yeah. confidence in any of our abilities. And obviously you tell a bunch of high schoolers, like, listen, you're all dumb as rocks. She didn't say it like that, but essentially what she was saying is you're all dumb as rocks. You're all like one bad week away from a complete total meltdown um, we need you just to stay at home with your parents or go to school where everyone there is known for not being able to function in society. That's not true. <laughs> yeah. But that's the, that, that's sort of, that, that, that's sort of the rep. Yeah. And she's telling a bunch of high schools that, and then shocked when these high schoolers were, we were all applying to like universities on the other side of the country just to spite her. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so you need to have some expectation. And so, mm-hmm. some of us did not do well in college. She was right about some of us, but we, we were just mad by that point. Yeah. So you need to have some expectations 
for your child, especially as they get older. Mm-hmm. As they get older, you need to have X tape. They just need to be appropriate to where their skills are and how they present themselves. I love that you said that because um, that is, uh, you know, once again, unscripted. Uh, we just uh, have such great back and forth because that is the opposite side of it. Parents who have no expectations because they get a diagnosis and they're like, oh, I'm just going to take care of my child for the rest of their lives and, I, and their lives. I don't have any expectations for them to go out on their own. Um, and that can also be very harmful because, you know, autistic individuals are aware of the fact that, <laughs> you know, sitting at home and their mom is sort of uh, taking care of them. And that may not be the quality of life that they wanted to choose, but it is very important to have expectations. You are correct. Um and to not just say, I have a diagnosis, therefore, my child's not going to be able to do anything. And I'll go back to this is where parents becoming educated and empowered, understanding autism, why we're talking today, shifting that narrative around, you know, it's not a behavior disorder, it's not an intellectual delay, you know, it's not the rest of my life is a tragedy. And yes, everyone's experience is different, but I do think that you are correct. It's finding the balance between expectations that maybe can't be met at that particular time on their timeline, but also having expectations that they will meet some goals as well. And those goals are within what, what they're capable of doing. I mean, and that's not an insult. There are things I cannot do. I don't care what anyone says about you can grow up to be anything you want to be. I cannot be a ballerina. I don't care how much you put me in a ballet class, how much you try to get me to be coordinated I do not have the movement capability to be a professional ballerina. Now, I wanted to be a ballerina, right? A parent supported me and daddy just had to say, you're just not that good of a dancer, but you have a good brain. So let's go with that. I'm like, all right, I'll just go with that one. So, so thinking in terms of knowing your children, understanding what they can do now, what you think that they need to do in terms of becoming their independent selves. And when I say independent, that's a whole nother topic. That doesn't mean having your own mortgage and, and, and all of these other things. Independence looks different for everyone, um, whether, um, you know, just looks different for everyone in every culture. Um, one of the other things is, and, and we won't go a little, a lot into this today because I think we're going to have a discussion at some point about cultural dynamics, but culture dictates educational expectations. Some cultures don't have expectations that are very high in regards to autism. Some communities, some have very high expectations for education. Um, You know, there are are areas that I worked in Louisiana that were very rural areas, right? Education was not a priority. They had farm, they had land, they had jobs, they had businesses, and it worked, right? And so going to college and making, you know, good grades was not a priority. It wasn't necessary for their style of life or for their lifestyle and and how they made their money. And, um, and, and that impacts expectations as well. Um, But I think, you know, we're talking about communication, we talked about the education um, expectations. And so, you know, my least favorite conversation about behavior, even though I know behavior is definitely something we have to talk about. Um, expectations around behavior um, can be very, um, in terms of parents' expectations for their child who is an autistic individual that has sensory needs, language differences, communication um, challenges, um, processing uh, differences, executive functioning, you know, fine motor challenges, having those expectations on what they should be doing behaviorally and behavior could be, you know, brushing your teeth on your own or, you know, just sitting at the table. I think that's probably the one thing I won't say it's the one thing, but it is something that I think definitely impacts um, children the most in terms of punishments for behavior or expectations for what they should be doing. And when they can't because of whatever situation, then there's punishment. Right. And so that's where that expectation. um, And I remember wonderful, wonderful parents. And and it wasn't, um, I don't think that they were by any means, they were just wonderful parents, but their expectation was that their three-year-old would get up and brush his teeth and dress himself and, and, and I said, is that like, is that the new guideline? Like are three-year-olds now getting up? And, and so they said, well, you know, um, 
he gets up really early and we like to sleep in. And I said, well, as a mom, you know, I had two kids. You don't get to sleep anymore when you, like you, like you, you really don't get to sleep anymore. You, you don't get to shower. I mean, you know, but, but that option is not available, right? Like, a, and, and for a three-year-old to be able to get up, and I'm not saying that they're not three-year-olds. There are three-year-olds that have to, their parents are either not capable of taking care of them. They're in situations where their parents are not able to parent for different dynamics. And yes, everyone has survival skills and you do what you have to do. But I'm not sure if getting up and being responsible for getting ready for breakfast is a responsibility or a behavioral expectation for a three-year-old, right? Or a three-year-old working for an hour on, on playing, um, uh, doing table tasks, right? Shaping, tracing, like, you know, those are expectations that a lot of parents have for a three-year-old to sit at a table at a restaurant. Three-year-olds don't enjoy going out to dinner, right? And certainly if you have an autistic individual, um, a toddler who has sensory processing and, and, you know, restaurants are overloading and kids just want to eat and get away from the table. I mean, that's what children are. This, they're not there to socialize. So having expectations that are not developmentally appropriate when it comes to behavior um, and punishing children because of it, because, because of it can be very, um, very harmful to our children. And, you know, I don't want that for anyone's child. And I don't think that parents are to blame when they do that per se, I think that no one talks about it with parents. You know, if you're not, if you're not, um, everyone's not in the field of education. Everyone's not in the field of child development. Uh, so parents don't always know what is supposed to be expected. They just know from what they learn around them and, and they learn around them. Maybe their neighbors or their sister-in-law's little girl is eating on her own at three, but for their autistic kiddo, that may not be a behavior that they can do at that time. And so they should not be reprimanded or punished for that. And, and I could go on and on and on, Torin. What are your thoughts around that? <laughs> I agree with all of that. And I also feel like, and this is a natural reaction, but a lot of parents base their children's sort of behavioral communication and education progression based off their own when they were that age, yes. or at least what their parents tell them when they were that age, because no one remembers how they were when they were three. And that's not fair either for yeah. not just because if the, par- if the parents are neurotypical or not autistic, they develop mm-hmm. differently, but also different circumstances. Yes. I know I have a friend whose parents, both his parents through different circumstances grew up in sort of rough environments, different mm-hmm. types, but rough environments that sort of force them, force them to learn adulting skills mm-hmm. earlier in life. Mm-hmm. And now they're, and they both sort of overcame their deficits, overcame their circumstances to build a good life for them yeah. and their kids in a nice neighborhood. But then they're wondering why their kids aren't, aren't like as bootstrapping as they were. Mm-hmm. Because your kids didn't have to grow up in the effed up environment y'all did. That's yeah. why. Yeah. They're wondering, for example, they wonder why their oldest, their oldest kid is 28. And they're wondering why he hasn't moved out. So yeah. for context, we live in New York City where it's about $3,000 a month for a cardboard box and a subway station. Yeah. On a serious note, the average rent of a one bedroom is literally $3,000. I'm not yeah. exaggerating. You have to be making six figures a year to be able to, I know people making six, six figures a year making over well over a hundred grand a year who still live with their parents Mm -hmm. just because housing is very expensive in certain parts of the country. Yeah. He lives in one of those parts. He lives where I live in New York city. Mm -hmm. And they're wondering why he hasn't moved out because his, his mother said, well, when I was, when I was his age, I'd already moved out. So I wanted to share just a couple of stories to help parents um, uh, get a feel for what, what triggered this, this topic. And, and, This is not about parents doing it wrong. This is about parents living in the moment and sometimes not stepping back to see what should be an expectation, what could be an expectation and what I can do to help them reach whatever that expectation is that I have. So I have wonderful parents that I work with and and I love when their kiddos come into the sessions because I get to see a little peek and then sometimes do a little um, strategy coaching. So this, this wonderful family, uh, their kiddo comes in and he walks up to the, you know, in the room and he can see me. And I said, hi. And he simply said, hi. He, actually, he said, hello. And his mom said, wave to Miss Stacy, wave. He didn't wave. And I was trying to say, 
he already he already he already greeted me. I said hi and he said hello. So it's done. There's no more to do, right? But her expectation was she wanted him to wave. That's what she had in her head. He was supposed to wave. She missed that he spontaneously initiated a response appropriately. Totally missed it. It was a wonderful moment in that session of bringing to their attention. You're missing all the golden nuggets. You're expecting this, but you missed that, right? And so that's another part of that parent expectation of parents. It's, I mean, I, I had, you know, I have two boys. You get so caught up in the mix, you can't see. And of course, you know, when someone can see from the outside, of course, it can be a little bit clearer. But, um, you know, a perfect example of a parent having an expectation that wasn't met. She even got frustrated and said, see, he won't wave. And then finally, when she kept, because she, she kept saying, wave to Miss Stacy, wave to Miss Stacy, wave to Miss Stacy. And then she said, he won't wave. And finally, I had a moment in there and I said, he didn't have to wave. He already said hello. And she was like, oh. And I said, yes, it's done. There's no reason to wave when you said hello. So, so thinking about those expectations that you have and how sometimes you may expect something, but they may have actually done something far beyond what your expectation is. And I don't want you to miss those nuggets, moms and dads. So I wanted to bring that um, uh, story, but I have a story that I've been saving um, to share with Torin. Uh, I had a wonderful, fun experience with a mom last weekend uh, that was enlightening for her and hysterical to me, but very typical of how um, parent expectations can get in the way of children actually doing something beyond the expectation. And so the mom is telling me that she's really frustrated because her son doesn't listen, right? He doesn't listen. He doesn't listen to the whole direction. I give him a direction. He doesn't listen. And so initially I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe he needs visual supports. I'm not really sure. So I'm listening and, you know, going through my Rolodex of possibilities. And so the mom's sharing, you know, he doesn't listen. And I said, okay, so give me an example of what that looks like. So the mom said, well, for example, I tell him, go put your cup in the sink. And she says, he won't stay and listen to me finish the direction. I said, okay, so what does he do with the cup instead? He puts it in the sink. I said, okay, so, so let's go back. So you give a direction verbally and say, put the cup in the sink. And your expectation is that he's supposed to stay and listen to the entire direction before moving to put the cup in the sink. But he starts putting and, and actually puts the cup in the sink without having to listen to the entire direction standing in front of you. Yes, he needs to stand and listen to the direction. And I said, so are we working on listening to the direction and standing? Or are we working on him putting the cup in the sink? <laughs> and she said, I want him to put the cup in the sink. I said, but he did put the cup in the sink. He didn't need to hear the whole direction because he already knows because that's a routine that you have. And she had already told me that she gives 10 to 15 instructions a day to help him practice. So, so thinking of that expectation and thinking from the child's perspective, one, I can imagine it's pretty annoying for someone to keep giving you the same direction 10 to 15 times a day for you to practice following directions, right? Annoying. Then as a child, I would think, okay, as soon as my mom says cup, I already know she wants it in sync. Let me get this over so she can stop giving me the direction. Like thinking from the child's perspective, right? But I share this story because it was such a light bulb moment for her that she didn't realize the expectation that she has was getting in the way of the fact that she couldn't see he was actually following directions. She just wanted him to put the cup in the sink when he was finished with it. That's it. So I wanted to share that story. I think because. that's really, I think that's both really sweet, of course. And you bring up some good points where it's a sort of sometimes we can miss the forest or the trees. Mm -hmm. My aunt does the same thing with me, where it's like, for example, if I'm leaving, if I'm right now I'm living with my aunt and uncle because my apartment, my apartment building's under construction. So I'm I'm living my at my aunt and uncle's house. And if I leave the house, she wants me to, I pass the living room where my uncle is and she wants me to, to say bye, mm -hmm. which I always do. But I guess my theory is, I think maybe like 10 years ago, at some point, 15 years ago or something, I might have forgotten to say, say bye or something. Because now every single time she's like, well, wave goodbye to your uncle. And then it's like, did you wave goodbye to your uncle? I'm like, he's sleeping. 
So next time she does that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk in, shake him awake, and be like, wake up. Um, Michelle says I need to say goodbye to you or the world's going to come to an end. So I'm just going to do that next time because that's what she does with me. She'll be like, oh, or the neighbor, did you say hi? I never once in my life forgot to say hi to this person. It's mm-hmm. like, did you wave to say hi? I don't know. I I think for maybe some, some parents and, and caregivers, it's just they need to say it to make themselves feel better. It's almost like a stem. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's like but a mom they, they, thing. They need to, give, they need to give those those instructions. Yes, it's a mom thing. Um, you know, I hear my mom say things to me and I'm like, mom, I'm like 55 years old. Are you really still reminding me of that? And and I catch myself doing it with my kids, but it is a mom thing. And I, I will say really quickly before we finish up in terms of the greeting, that's also one of those parent expectations where As parents, we prompt our children to greet, say hi, say bye, say thank you, right? Because we're teaching manners, right? Um, But when parents expect a child to greet someone independently or spontaneously or on their own initiative, especially when they're little, you know, I remind parents, I'm not saying that you can't have that expectation, but I need you to know that you're probably going to have to prompt them because greeting is not something that's motivating to children in general, Children are just being children. You know, that that dynamic of saying hi and bye is something we've decided to mandate, but it's not really any benefit to the child, right? For them to say hi to your friend when she leaves the door. And parents do that all the time during my sessions. Like they will, and, and what cracks me up is they will stop a child while they're doing their iPad because they're on their iPad so parents can talk with me. And then they stop them midway and say, Thomas, Stacey, bye. And wonder sometimes when the kids get frustrated, I'm like, just let him stay on his iPad. He doesn't need to stop his iPad to tell me bye, right? Like, like having that, that thinking about you're, you're having an expectation, which you're not considering. I'm not saying our children can do whatever they want to do. I'm saying you need to consider, especially with an autistic individual and a little kiddo, if they're in the middle of doing something, they, you, you can't always expect that they'll be able to stop it right away to do what you need them to do and think about like, the step outside the moment when you can um, just to sort of like think about what you did. And we all have to reflect back as parents, you know, so that we can parenting doesn't come with a manual. So, so we learn as we go, we, we, you know, rely on doctors and teachers to tell us what our children should be doing and, and should not be doing. And sometimes that just gets in the way of parents being able to adjust the expectations and, and what I will say um, in, in my, uh, I'm going to definitively say these are my final words. I want parents to have expectations because I want everyone to have the expectation that your child will thrive to become whatever they're supposed to become. Um, but I want parents to think about expectations in a way that benefits their child, not just them. And, and, and that's going to be the long-term benefit for your kiddo. Uh, because it it really is, yes, there are kids, but, you know, eventually it's going to be their own life. And so we want to, to have expectations that are going to be expectations that work for them sometimes, not always for us. And we just have to work around that and just work around it. Um, So I think part of it is just accepting, you know, the autistic autism diagnosis, accepting that their child is autistic. And sometimes parents don't, don't see light at the end of the tunnel because they don't know. And so that's why we're talking so that people can listen and they can know and they can learn just like I did and um, have expectations, but meet their needs in regards to those expectations. And just sometimes we have to let go of things like tying your shoe. (laughs) That's it. Exactly. And the last thing I'll say, because we need to wrap up is we feel those expectations, even as younger kids, we feel those expectations, not just from you, from teachers, from society. Mm-hmm. If you just noticed uh, about five minutes or so ago, when I mentioned my aunt, I mentioned I'm just living with my aunt temporarily. And the reason I there, that does not matter at all. I did not have to mention that. But out of instinct, I had to mention that because I'm because in the back of my head, I'm like, I don't want the audience to think that I'm 29 years old and I still live. I still live with my aunt. It's like, oh, well, he, he never left the house. Yeah, that's sort of thinking we have. Like, I'm always cognitive, cognitively aware that 
I'm being judged and I have standards to meet up to. So I have to mention that, yes, I do live on my own. It's just my apartment building's currently under a complete reconstruction. So it's unlivable right now. Mm-hmm. I had like, I had to mention that to make my, basically to make myself feel better, to validate myself, even though there was no need to, because I'm so accustomed to feeling the pressure of expectations yeah. about how I should act and what level of functioning I should be at to be considered an authority, to be considered an advocate, to be considered an educator. And that's just, that, that's just uh, social learning, unfortunately. It's social, social conditioning. That's the word I'm looking for. So the other thing you have to keep track of when you have expectations for your kids is understand they ha- that they have expectations themselves and they're feeling your expectations. Mm-hmm. And, they, and it's heavy. It's mm-hmm. heavy. So be careful. And they feel the lack thereof as well. They feel when there's no expectations, they feel like they can't do anything. Mm-hmm. You might not think of it because they might not communicate it to you, but they feel it. Even as young children, they feel it just like you would feel it if you were in their shoes. So th- that's the last thing I'm going to say. Put yourself in their shoes and how would you feel if someone felt like you couldn't do anything at all or were mad at you because you weren't living up to what they thought you should be doing? You kind of feel like crap, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. And Torin, I just want to say thank you for sharing that. I think that is the perfect message parents can can get in terms of just remember that your children are feeling that um, that pressure, but also, uh, I'm just going to leave it at that, Torin. I I mean, I just I just think that that is that is such an insightful um, uh, message to parents in terms of. Um, you know, my way was saying it would be, you know, it's not about you anymore, right? Um, because our kids do feel, they do feel a lot and autistic kiddos sometimes feel more than our kiddos who are not um, our neurotypical uh, peers. They're, too neuro- they're neurotypical peers. And, and so um, that's why we're here because we want to prevent as many autistic kiddos, individuals, young adults and teens from feeling that lack of that they are not valued and that they don't meet other people's expectations. We want them to be able to not have to have that heaviness on them. So that's why we are here. And and that's why we're here. And that's why we're shifting the narrative. That's it. Hey, see what I did there? You did. Let's bring this one home. Yes, you did. That is what we are doing. We are shifting the narrative. And so um, this was good. This was good. And we will be back again. Thanks, Eventually. <laughs>